This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thanks everybody for tuning into a midweek episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Coming at you on a Thursday. You already said that. My intros are as bad on a Thursday as they are any other day of the week. Oh my god. Hey, at least better than on Sunday where we started the show by saying how the Super Bowl has been so boring and then I'm now reading it was like the best Super Bowl of all time. So we started by talking about how my mom said the Super Bowl was so boring and she was right at the time, but we did not say that ourselves. So we're we're okay. No blood on our hands. I think I tweeted that. Anyway, okay. Let's mention that we're presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. I go there every day. They've got line combinations and starting goalies, all that stuff. Anything you need to run your team. Great articles, interesting monthly rankings of players. Just kind of like everything about fantasy hockey is there. You just have to go there and you'll learn everything you need to know. Go there and also listen to Keeping Carlson, and I think you're going to be pretty set. Yeah, go to DauberHockey.com. One thing we're actually going to talk about later in the show is Evander Kane. We're going to chat about his current streak. Do you know the place I go to find out about Evander Kane's true value? I go to Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool Player Profiles. And the reason I go there above any other source is they have his hits handily listed in game log, yearly pace, and season stats and career stats form. Every form you could want hits. And it's left out on so many other stat sites. Dabber Hockey knows what you're looking for. Yeah, if you want hits, go to Dabber Hockey. The greatest hits. Okay, let's start the show. Let's start with some outjuries. You know, it's only been a few days. We got just a couple for you wanted to mention. Kevin Hayes returned to the Rangers on Tuesday versus Anaheim after missing five games. And he slotted back in with JT Miller and Grabner. We were talking about the Rangers lines on Sunday. We forgot to mention that Kevin Hayes was going to be coming back. This guy, you know, we talked about how Miller has been having such a great season. We got to mention Kevin Hayes, right? He's up to 36 points in 48 games on the season. That is a 61-point pace. Brian, you softened your stance on Miller on Sunday, saying maybe he can actually keep it up and actually ended up getting two assists on Tuesday. That's three straight two-assist games in a row for JT Miller. So he keeps doing well. I'm glad you didn't say on Sunday that you still think he's going to slow down because that would have just not looked that great. Maybe it could have still happened. Anyways, you said finally you think JT Miller could keep it happening, and now 
Kevin Hayes, I got the same question for you. He doesn't get the same power play time as JT Miller, but he's on a 60-point pace right now. Is that the real Kevin Hayes, or do we expect him to go back to being like a 40, 45-point guy like we would have expected going into the season? Are those really my two options when I've been saying all season long that the New York Rangers are chock full of guys who aren't 40, 45-point guys? They're 50-ish point guys, plus or minus five points. So I'm just going to put that option on the table instead of that 40, 45 one. I like Kevin Hayes as a player. There's a lot to like from just what we saw going into the season before we knew that there was this potential for offensive production. He just seemed like a useful top nine guy. And there have been some numerical similarities to JT Miller so far this season. He has been producing nearly the entire season outside of a month-long stretch. He has a high individual shooting percentage, but it matches the one he put up in his rookie year. Both of those have been near 15%, so that's his current one too. But in his sophomore year, he shot 10%. So the question is, which of those shooting percentages is the outlier? He spent now two-thirds of his career almost shooting 15%. But on the other hand, it's more likely in the long run for a forward to be shooting closer to the 10% mark. So we'll see if he can buck that trend and continue being a high-percentage shooter. Uh, So without knowing that for sure, it's hard to say where I'm really at on him. I don't believe he's a 60-point guy in reality, but maybe he can be one of those healthy 50-point guys with upside as another solid mid-six option in New York. Yeah, they definitely have a few of them, right? We didn't even mention Grabner. He's also having a great season. I'm sure a lot because of JT Miller. I'd be curious to know who's like the strongest of the drink of those three. Like they're playing on a line together and doing very well. Maybe at some point we could really analyze this third line on the Rangers. But another guy I wanted to mention on the team, we actually had a question from Fabrice in our patient-only Facebook group asking if Mika Zibanejad is a snoozer, which is surprising because it's just like a couple of weeks ago that we're talking about how amazing of a season he's been having and how excited we were for him to return from injury. And since he's returned from injury, like, it hasn't been too great. He had a three-game assist streak a couple of games ago. But before that, he went four games without a point. Now he had nothing against Anaheim on Tuesday. And obviously, we're in the middle of a game today against Nashville, but nothing so far. Also, hardly any shots. He's only had one, zero, or two shots in every game for, like, the past nine, ten games. So I'm curious to know what you think about Mika Zibanejad. Is he a Should we even, first of all, be classifying him as a snoozer? Or is this just too short a stretch of, you know, not producing that much? Or, like, should people be worried because I was excited about him right he's on a line with Kreider and Zuccarello it's a nice line for him he should be in a good situation he was doing so well before what's your take on him going forward for the rest of the season yeah I don't know as a Zabinadad owner in two leagues I've been pretty underwhelmed lately with what he's put up he did have that little three-game run but that was almost more annoying because he was still not doing much else or not showing any huge signs of promise and it was after a few scoreless games where he was totally useless So I didn't have an excuse to let him go when I was sort of waiting for the final straw to come. I don't really know what the future holds for him. I still think he's like a 50-plus point player, especially given good opportunities in New York. A few pointless games, though, and no uptick in shots. And he is snoozer-worthy. I don't think Fabrice is too far off by suggesting he's at least approaching that status. I think he's better than that. I think he is a fantasy-relevant guy, but we've seen Rangers players just go silent for long periods of time. Zibanejad, his saving grace, were those huge shot games that he was getting earlier in the season. If he's not getting those, I don't know if I'm going to say drop him in all leagues. Like in shallower leagues, you definitely can. In deeper leagues, maybe you want to have a little more patience, but 
he's not an automatic keep on your roster. Okay, that's fair. I mean, going into the season, I was like, Mikhail Zibanejad, yeah, I guess maybe I'll draft him late in my draft. Now he seems to have such a high stature all of a sudden, I guess just because he had that really good start. So we'll see. I mean, if you're playing with Kreider and Zuccarello, though, that makes it tough for me to drop him. That is probably the best line on New York, unless you want to say the Stepan Nash and Jimmy VC line is the best. Or maybe that third line. Uh, what a weird team. Okay. Let's move on from the Rangers. Next out jury I wanted to mention, Drew Stafford and Matthew Perot are both back for the Jets. They were injured at one point, and then Perot came back, and now Stafford is back. So the whole team is healthy again, which means that it's a nice opportunity to look at the lines and see how things are shaking out. But unfortunately, the lines on Tuesday were like all over the place. Stafford had some time with Little and Ehlers. Perot had some time with Shifley and Wheeler, which would both be great situations. But then also there was some time where Stafford and Perot were playing on a line together with Nick Patan, which would be like the third line and clearly not such a great situation for him. I feel like, though, it's important to keep in mind that they're back. They both make decent spot start options. If they can get into the top six, playing with those studs, like you're playing either Little or Ehlers or Shifley and Wheeler, playing with any of those four guys, you know that you have a good chance to get points that game. So I just wanted to bring it up. I don't even really need to ask you anything about those guys unless you have something to say. Also, we should mention, I know we're on the outjury section, got to mention Andre Pavlik injured. And I've never seen so many heartless people as our patrons, Brian. Everyone's like, oh, good. Finally, now Hellebuck can play. Oh, good. Now the Jets can stop doing this dumb thing of playing Pavlik all the time. So mean. This guy's hurt. His knee or his whatever, his lower body injuries actually looks like it's not going to be that serious to say he's going to be out like a week. But yeah, I guess a good opportunity for Hellebuck to show his stuff. He's going to play tomorrow. I believe it's against Minnesota, so it'll be a tough game. We'll see how he holds up. And it'll just be interesting to see what's going to happen in the Winnipeg net. Now, it has been weird how they've been playing Pavlik like every game, even though I think he's letting over three goals every single game he's played. Anyway, Brian, any general takes on the Winnipeg situation, either regarding Stafford and Perot or Andre Pavlik being injured? And he is silent because he's setting his lineup. <laughs> so what's going on, Brian? I'm seeing you here in the chat room. You forgot to uh, set your lineup today. Yeah, I got home and I started getting ready for the show. So, so I have uh, some really important points on my bench already tonight in Bergeron and Krug. And is Mason even playing? I don't even know what's yeah. happening tonight. Okay, so if Mason's playing and he wins, and that's a real uh, real kick in the shins. Well, I mean, this is a good advice segment then for our listeners. You got to set your lineups in advance, people. If you're going to work and then you have plans that evening, you're going to f- trust your future self to remember to do this? Like, come on, Brian. I've got my whole lineup set for like the next two weeks. Setting lineups is part of my coming home routine. Like, I get home, I whatever, I don't know, put stuff away, put my lunchbox away. <laughs> Why do you have one? (laughs) Well, no, it's just like the thing I carry my lunch in. And then I open my computer and I check the patrons only Facebook group, which is true. I'm not just saying that. And then I go and set my lineups. And uh, yeah, that just that stuff didn't happen. I was at work like an hour later than usual, an hour and a half later than usual today. And then I came home and got to work because we have a very important Thursday show to put on, which is much more important than me winning one of my three hockey pools. If I could trade a guaranteed win in the cacuffle for like this being a really crappy episode, I would take it in a second. (laughs) But hopefully I can have both. Sorry about your lineup. Dave in the chat here, he's giving good advice. He's saying you set your lineup when you're in the bathroom. I feel like every single time I go to the bathroom all throughout the day, I check my lineup just to make sure that it's set because I'm neurotic that way. Murphy in the chat is saying, sorry, Brian. No, Murphy, do not (laughs) sympathize with him. He needs to learn. I'm sure this is the first time this has happened. Well, no, in this league, it's actually not. It's like my third league out of the three that I pay the most attention to. And it's actually even more embarrassing because it's a Yahoo league. So they have the button, like they have the start active players button. You just have to push the button. And I did not 
get to push the button. I only checked my two important fan tracks pools, one of them being the cupful and the other one being one in which I forgetfully added Calvin Pickard today. I made like, I guess, a really quick bid on him for $0 last night in a rush because I'm like, I never have time to look, so I'm just going to do this and I'll edit it in the morning. And I forgot and I checked my team and he was suddenly on my team. I'm not starting him tonight against Pittsburgh though. Okay, do you think we're going to keep this in the show or is this all going to be edited? What's your take before we move forward? Uh, you you decide on the edit. I think okay. it's okay. By the way, Chris in the chat room, thank you for being here and correcting me. Hellebuck and the Jets are playing Chicago tomorrow, not Minnesota. Minnesota's playing Tampa Bay. And apparently Hellebuck is quite good against Chicago recently. So maybe a decent start if you could pick Hellebuck up for that one game or if you have him on your lineup. Don't be afraid to start him. Okay, Brian, that is Winnipeg. Did you even answer my questions about any of these Winnipeg guys? I did not. So Stafford and Perot, they do have some fantasy relevance, or they could if they get into one of those top six spots. Remember, we pointed them out before they got injured, but Liney and maybe someone else, or was it just the other one of those two? They were also out of the lineup at the time. So now there are fewer top six spots available for them to squeeze into. Whichever one manages to, though, does carry some fantasy relevance. And then Andre Pavlik, yeah, I don't even remember what you said about him at this point, so I'll just go... uh, down the road of reminding everyone how bad he's been 888 save percentage 3.55 goals against average and now we'll all see what we should have been seeing in the last game or two at least and that's Hellebuck back in net once Pavlik is like healthy and all systems go uh, then it's time to fire up the ballad of Paul and Andre again but I hope Hellebuck can prove himself in the meantime and make that a very difficult decision for Paul Maurice to actually insert Andre Pavlik back into the starter's role. Yeah, I mean, clearly I'm on the side of the people saying that Hellebuck should be getting more games. It's crazy how he's been on the bench this whole time. Maybe he's done really badly in practice or something. But, you know, selfishly, Brian, we do have Pavlik in our league that we're in together. So I actually wouldn't mind if Pavlik could just come back and win a few more games for us. Actually, that league doesn't even count save percentage or anything like that. It's just wins. So... He's actually been okay since we picked him up, but obviously the injury isn't good. I don't want Hellebuck to have the opportunity to prove himself, even though obviously for him, this is a great chance. Okay, let's go to one other outjury, more like a soon-to-be outjury. I've been reading that Brendan Gallagher might be back soon from his hand injury, and it was originally slated to be like eight weeks out, but he's ahead of schedule. So I wanted to touch base on him because he's been having a very sort of surprisingly bad season, only 18 points in 39 games and only 112 shots, which is less than three shots a game. That's good for some players. But Brendan Gallagher, you wanted to get like at least a 55-point pace and probably at least three shots a game. So he's been disappointing overall. I remember there were times where he was like down, not on the top line, sometimes not even in the top six, not getting on the top power play. Things were starting to look better for him right before he got hurt. He had 28 shots in his last six games and he was playing with Pacioretty and Galchenyuk, I think. So now that Brendan Gallagher is going to return, I'm curious what you expect once he's back. Maybe he's been dropped in some leagues or maybe some people have him in their IR and they have to decide if they want to drop someone to bring him in. I mean, there's definitely room on Montreal for Brendan Gallagher, right? In their last game, they were going with Dano, Radulov, and Pacioretty and then Galchenyuk, Lekkonen, and Brian. So I see a spot for Gallagher to either play on the Galchenyuk line or on the Pacioretty line, or maybe they switch things around and put Galchenyuk back with Pacioretty and Radulov, which I'm sure a lot of Habs fans think they should be doing anyways. Also on the top power play, they've been running Galchenyuk, Pacioretty, Radulov, Weber, and Markov, who, by the way, Markov's also someone who returned recently. So I don't know if there's maybe room for Gallagher there. I'm hopeful. I have him in one league. I'm curious to know if you think he's going to be able to crack the top six or the top power play. A couple things. First off, as flattered as I'd be to be slotted alongside Arturi Lekkonen and Alex Galchenyuk, it was Paul Byron 
who is in that spot. And also, I like how you asked, like, if someone has Gallagher in their IR and they don't know if they should drop someone to activate him, what should they do when you're talking specifically about your cupful team? I know you're in this exact situation. You played off so vaguely and ambiguously, so altruistically. You're just trying to help the people, but this one's for you. Uh, We were really down on Gallagher as he got hurt and you had just acquired him, Elon, as he got hurt. You tried to buy low, and he had a fleeting, wonderful moment as he got injured. And then, of course, he had to go and get injured. His line mates at the time helped when he was doing good things. And I just, uh, I don't know what the Habs lines are going to look like. And I don't know if I can speculate. I feel like Dano has really held on to that top line spot, even though he's not putting up a ton of points. He's still hitting the score sheet every few games and seems to be a kind of player that Michel Therrien is generally enjoying. And then you add to the line intrigue in Montreal. You have Terrian only recently allowing Alex Galchenyuk to move back to sea after he'd been playing at right wing since returning from injury for a while. And that experiment was not looking good, even though Terrian decided to hold steadfastly to it as it failed. A lot of Habs fans ended up in arms about it. So my hope is that Galchenyuk goes back to center and maybe Gallagher can play on his wing. And then you've got that top line of Radulov, Pacioretty, and Dano staying intact until, of course, the Canadians get desperate and need to throw Galchenyuk back on that top line to put their three best forwards together, which would leave Gallagher sort of out of the picture. So this is all, of course, wild speculation. And I'm interested to see how the lines shake out. You're looking for two things from Gallagher when he comes back. You're looking to see who he's playing with and if he's getting shots on goal. Yeah, basically what we were looking at all the season so far as he was struggling. And it's it's hard to say. Montreal, man, that was a dumb pick of me to pick Brendan Gallagher, I think. But okay, whatever. By the way, Brian, Dave is telling us in the chat room here, Kevin Hayes, two assists already tonight. So definitely just adding to what you were saying. He's like a really solid guy in fantasy. I feel like you uh, need to add him if he's available in your league. No doubt about it. Okay, by the way, I mentioned Markov. He's back. And like I said, he's back on the top power play for a while. He wasn't. Bolio was there. But Markov is there with like Weber and then Radulov, Pacioretty, and Galchenyuk. But he only has one assist in five games. And now overall, he has 22 points in 36 games, which is really good. A 50-point pace, more than what we would have expected from Markov. But a lot of that came during like one hot stretch. I remember it was cold at the beginning of the year, then just went on an amazing pace of scoring or getting an assist almost every game. And now he's cold again after coming back from injury. Was that run of production before a mirage? Or do you think that Markov could do it again? Well, you did that thing again, where you go back and you combine games from before and after an injury to create the illusion that there's been this one long stretch of games in which he's not doing well. So let's give him a clean slate from coming back from the injury and say no points in four games. He had just the one in his first game back from injury. It's nice for him to step back in on the top power play, and that definitely helps him. I think he was performing over his head earlier this year, but I also think he can still keep up a pace above 40 points with that power play time. Speaking of that power play time, Shea Weber doesn't really have much directly to do with it, but he is without an even strength point in 13 games and counting. I guess a cleaner segue would be, speaking of Montreal Canadiens defensemen, uh, yeah, Shea Weber, zero even strength points in his last 13 games. He has three points in those 13 games, two goals and one assist, all of them, of course, coming on the power play. It would be lovely if Markov's return helps ease the load somehow, on that Montreal back end and allows Weber to get back to business. I don't know that there's actually a correlation there, and I might totally be blue skying this, 
But uh, anyway, just thought I'd put that out there. There are a few days off coming up for Montreal. Hopefully that's going to do everyone some good, Markov and Weber and whoever else and Gallagher, and then they can all get back to scoring again. This has been a really rough patch. Yeah, I remember back when Markov was on that hot stretch, it was like we were looking at the top defensemen in the league for points. Weber and Markov are both there, and now they're, of course, falling down. Like Markov's obviously way out after getting injured, and Weber also. So too bad he was looking so great at the start. Okay, let's go to a couple of injuries. Nothing too significant. I wanted to mention I saw Chris Russell was injured. And so he's the kind of guy, he's only good for blocks, basically. There was a stretch uh, last year or the year before, I remember, where he was putting up some points. I think he got on the top power play while someone was injured on, was it Dallas or wherever he was at one point. But now he's only good for blocks. But that might be useful. And the fact that he's injured, if he's a free agent in your league, it might be a sneaky move. I just want to throw this out there. You add Chris Russell, you throw him in your IR, and then you never know, maybe he'll happen to come back on a Sunday and you'll be able to spot start him without having to use one of your acquisitions for that week. So something to keep in mind. Actually, I saw Dan Girardi is injured as well. So you could do the same thing. Like sometimes it's peripheral guys. I like the idea of just throwing them in your IR and maybe you get a game or two out of them when they come back if you're out of moves for that week. Something to keep in mind. Anyway, another injury that is maybe a little more significant or maybe not. Travis Konechny on Philly is at four to six weeks with a lower body injury. I recall when I did that prospects episode with Peter Harling early in the year, Peter Harling, by the way, from the Dauber Prospects podcast, a very great podcast. He mentioned that Konechny is a bit injury prone and he said he's a tough guy to own because he plays in a reckless way and he might get hurt. So I don't know if it's related to any reckless play that he's done, but he's out. He's injured, so Peter was right, but it's not as if you were getting so much out of him anyways. He only has 22 points in 51 games and only two assists in his last 11 games. So he had a really nice start, but has slowed down a lot. But, you know, Philly has been shut out twice in a row by LA and St. Louis. They probably could have used Konechny. I think he was even healthy scratched for one game. I guess I'm just curious to get your thoughts on Konechny at this point, maybe more in terms of a dynasty league. Like, did you like what he did before he got hurt? Or do you think he's just going to be the type of guy in fantasy who maybe he could get up to being like a 50 point max guy at some point in his career? And also one last thing about Philly, and then I'll let you talk, Brian. Ghost Bear, is he playing today? He was healthy scratched like three games in a row. I know Philly is playing today. I'm going to check right now because if he's not in the lineup after the team gets shut out twice in a row, that would just be crazy. And I am seeing that Ghost Bear, not only is he playing, but he assisted on Wayne Simmons' power play goal. So smart of the coach to finally bring Ghost Bear back. Of course, Philly is still losing. Maybe that's because Steve Mason is in net. Okay, Brian, what's your take? What? Am I ready? Is it my turn? Yes, please go. Uh, You asked so many questions in there, I feel like. I think one of them was, do you believe in what Konechny was doing before the injury? And like, how far back before the injury? He had nine points in 13 games to start the year. That was exciting. But 13 points in his last 38 games played. So all the early season excitement around him is pretty far behind us in the rearview mirror. I was excited about it at the time. I still think he could be a goal scorer in the NHL. And I think he does have at least 50-point upside in the future, hopefully more. But uh, clearly is going to need a better role. I think the Flyers need a coaching change. I really do. I haven't loved a lot of the personnel decisions, including the one that just put Ghost on the bench for all this time. Okay, so let's just keep rolling along. But I still want to talk about a few players on Hot Streaks. And before we get to that, Brian, why don't we thank the sponsors of this week's episode, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is 
pretty much the smartest way to find hockey tickets this season. You know, there's nothing like going to a game, being behind the glass for the biggest matchups of the year. You want to make sure you got a ticket and you want to make sure you're getting good value for that ticket. So why not use SeatGeek? I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to buy hockey tickets. I can be anywhere with just a few taps. I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game this weekend or this season. In fact, Brian, I'm going to New Orleans. That's why we're not doing an episode this Sunday. And I bought tickets on SeatGeek to see Dave Chappelle. You can get tickets for anything. It's a great app. And you could even get better prices than what you see on the app if you're a listener of Keeping Carlson. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, gladly. I was actually just telling a colleague of mine about it today who was looking for seats to see the Sens play the Dallas Stars tonight. And he was talking about how he went to the team website, they added on a ton of fees. And now he looked on another unnamed ticket selling website that aggregates tickets in a way not unsimilar to SeatGeek, but not quite as good as SeatGeek and how they added all these fees at checkout. Anyway, okay, I guess you already said all that. Uh, You could save $20. That's what I told him. If you enter the promo code KEEPING when you sign up for your SeatGeek account and make your first ticket purchase with the site that's K-E-E-P-I-N-G, just punch in that promo code and you will be good to get a 20 US dollar check come to you six to eight weeks after your first ticket purchase. And Elon, while we're talking about SeatGeek, Okay, wait, do the little do the little thing you do. Here's the thing. Be a geek. Buy a seat with SeatGeek. All right, so here's my geography question of the day. Elon, you're going to New Orleans. If you wanted to catch an NHL game, what NHL city would be the closest <laughs> trip for you from New Orleans where you could purchase your tickets off SeatGeek and then go see the game? Okay, so Louisiana, what is that, mid? I, don't, I really don't know the states. I don't know, man. Like Chicago? You're going there. Chicago, I'll say. Is that uh, even I'm close? No, it's you... hot. No, it's hot in New Orleans. No, Arizona. No, but that's like West. Oh, mm. I don't know. Florida. You're wrong. It's Dallas. They're the closest. Tampa would be like the third closest. And that's not even what you said. You said Florida. So sorry about that. And if Atlanta still had a team, they'd even be closer. Fascinating stuff. Okay, let's let's move on to some hot streaks now, Brian. We got to go to St. Louis and talk about a guy that we jokingly dismissed on Sunday when he got called up. We were like, Kevin Agostino. You didn't even know his first name. You looked up, you're like, it's Kevin. And I was like, who cares? Who gives a crap? Actually, turns out that in his two games since he's been called up, he has a goal and an assist. He got a goal and four shots against Philly on Monday and then a power play assist and five shots versus Ottawa on Tuesday. See, he already has a shot today. So all of a sudden, I got to ask, who is this Kevin Agostino? He was playing on a line with David Perron and Yori Laterra, so not like amazing line mates, but not so bad either for your first shot up in the NHL. Curious to know, like, who's this guy? Is he worth watching or adding, or are these just a couple of games where you see a mirage of someone that looks like a superstar, but actually we're not going to see anything now for a long time? Kind of like Gensel in Pittsburgh. And, you know, don't start throwing tomatoes at me, Cameron. I know you think Gensel's the best. I mean, fantasy-wise, I just remember he had those two really good games when he got called up the first time. Everyone went crazy over him, and then he completely disappeared. Is Agostino a Gensel, or is he a, I don't know, who's a guy who's been called up and then did really well right away for a long time? Pasternak. Didn't Pasternak get called up at some point and yeah. do really well? So I don't know, Elon. Kenny Agostino has just four games of NHL experience. This is his third year pro. He's a 24-year-old Yale graduate drafted in the fifth round, 140th overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2010, but he never played a game for that organization. He's actually spent his entire pro career up until this summer with the Calgary Flames organization, and he led their AHL affiliates in scoring for his first two years as a pro 
before signing with the Blues this summer. And he now leads the Blues AHL affiliate in points this season with 18 goals, 42 assists for 60 points in 48 games. So he has shown he has some minor league ability, but that's not necessarily an indication that he can do it in the NHL too. So I guess like that's something he's got going for him though and something you can try and hang your hat on. But we've seen in St. Louis, what can you do if you're not on those top two lines? If Kenny Agostino is the one to break that code, I will eat my hat. Okay, well, we'll have to keep track and see. We'll keep bringing him up if he keeps doing stuff. Another guy you might need to eat your hat about is Alex Steen. You were saying last episode how you still think he's a sell-high candidate. You think the production he has is just a great chance to sell high. And since you said that, he had another great game. And actually, after a line shakeup, he's on a line with Stasny and Tarasenko and still on the top power play. So pretty much the best situation he can be in. He had an assist versus Philly, then a goal and an assist versus Ottawa on Tuesday. Even with that long cold stretch he had when everyone wanted to drop him, he's up to a 63-point pace this season, 37 points in 48 games. So overall, at this point, the numbers are looking good for Alex Steen, just kind of what you would have expected from him when he drafted him. I know that maybe the shots on goal are a little down, but I'm curious to know if you still think he's a sell high and maybe even a sell higher now, because obviously you could get more for him after this nice week he's been having, or do you think maybe actually you should hold on and he will be able to keep up producing now that he's on this great line? Sell higher is my philosophy with Alex Dean, my updated philosophy. It's really nice that he's playing with Tarasenko. He actually hasn't spent a ton of time with Tarasenko. Latera Schwartz and Robbie Fabry had been the ones who've most frequently had that privilege this year. So if you have seen, I guess like now you hold him. And if you feel like you want to hold him the rest of the year, go ahead and do that. Uh, my problem with him remains shots on goal were always a big part of his appeal to me. And there's no real sign of them returning. He has eight goals on his last 25 shots. And those are part of this really nice streak he's putting together. So he's scoring on a third of his shots, unsustainable. So yeah, I'm still going to try and sell high, but now maybe I aim to sell higher. Okay, I'm just going to hold on to him. Well, actually, our trade deadline is passed in the Cupful where I own him, so I don't have to worry about it, but I'm very happy that he's producing, and I hope he could stay with Tarasenko because there's definitely a lot of points to be had. He's clearly a very talented player. Even without the shots, just pass it over to Tarasenko. He'll score. No problem. Okay, since we're on St. Louis, I'll quickly say, how about that? Jake Allen and Carter Hutton each getting a shutout this week? What? How did that happen? They were like the two worst goalies and no one on St. Louis could stop the puck. And all of a sudden now you have a goalie controversy because they're both getting shutouts. Today, St. Louis is playing against Toronto and it's one nothing for the Blues. Halfway through the game, Jake Allen is in net. So who knows if he'll be putting together two straight shutouts. Sorry to jinx it, Jake Allen. But yeah, obviously something is working. It's also a very small sample size, but maybe Yeo has solved all of the problems and he's figured out how to get good goaltending out of Allen and Hutton. Who knows? I, I'm assuming we're still assuming Jake Allen is the guy long-term, right? Like, we're not going to get too excited about Carter Hutton, even though we got that shutout this week. I guess Marty Brodeur and Ty Conklin are working wonders. I still have to assume Jake Allen is the guy, but maybe they consider going back and forth for as long as both are doing well. Like, if that's what's working, their goaltending situation has been so fragile all year that I feel like whatever is working, let's just keep doing that. Let's go back and forth between goalies until one really drops the ball. And now I'm starting to wonder if maybe Jake Allen has some deep down hang up about needing to not be the only guy who's being considered as the starter on his team. Of course, I'm sure he would deny that and say he needs to be the guy, but he has to show it. This is still his chance. I don't think Carter Hutton comes close to him, which is why if Allen can just keep playing average, at least he should be able to easily handle that number one role. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch 
if St. Louis can get good goaltending, I still think they could be a good team. If they could sneak into the playoffs, maybe they could surprise some people. But, you know, that's maybe a big if, these two shutouts. Not enough yet to convince me. But, hey, also, I wonder if people were scared to start Allen today against Toronto, who could score some goals. But so far, so good. Okay, let's go to the Islanders. Andrew Ladd keeps doing things on this line with Alan Quine and Jason Chimmer. I don't know how it happens. He scored against Toronto on Monday and took four shots on goal. He's up to five points in his last five games. Maybe still too small a sample size of Andrew Ladd doing something and putting up some points after such a long stretch of doing absolutely nothing. And he's still on the third line. I'm curious to know if people should be preemptively adding him or getting closer and closer to considering adding him. Like he was drafted probably in most leagues and then obviously dropped long ago after that horrible first couple of months. But you know, since Doug Wade has showed up, he's not the only guy aside from the top line getting some points. Like all of a sudden we're seeing Brock Nelson. He had two goals and assists in the 6-5 win versus Toronto earlier this week. And he's up to four goals and three assists in his last six games, four shots in each of his last two games. So Brock Nelson is making an impact. Brock's line mate, Ryan Strome, had a goal and assist in that Toronto game and has two goals and four assists in his last four games. I think he also has a goal or an assist today that I've seen. So all of a sudden we've got Ladd, Nelson, Strome doing well. And we already were talking about how Bailey Lee and Tavares are like running away with it. So forget about Bailey Lee and Tavares, but I'd be curious to know your thoughts on Ladd, Nelson, and Strom. Like between the three, who would you add? I'm sure they're all free agents in a lot of leagues. Between Ladd, Nelson, and Strom, well, let me just say a little bit about each one first. Ladd, you've still got a small sample size for what he's been doing this season. And I don't mean like it's only 50 games. We can't judge him as a New York Islander. I'm just talking about it's only been five games that he's been doing well. And I still don't think he's a 60-point player, even on the best of days, especially when playing with anyone not named Tavares, let alone Jason Shamara and Alan Quine. I guess you can try and add him if you want, but his ice time hasn't risen, and neither has Nelson or Strom. So all three of these guys are succeeding, and Strom and Ladd in particular are guys who seem to be specifically in Capuano's not-so-good graces. They're all improving. It's nice to see. I think you could maybe drop a bit piece for any of the three. They might be slightly interchangeable. Ladd is actually the guy I'd want the third most of the group. So I don't know. I guess I'll just say Ryan Strom the highest, even though that seems stubbornly like pro Strom and thinking he's still got a huge year in career ahead of him, which has been thrown into question over the last couple of years. So maybe Brock Nelson is a nice steady guy. I don't know. I don't love either of these options, to be honest. Yeah, I think if I had to pick between the three, I'd go Ryan Strom also just because he's the one on the top power play. So you always get the extra opportunity to get points that way. And he actually got a point on the power play today. So, okay, that's New York Islanders. Let's go on to New Jersey. Brian, you mentioned your successful spot start of Adam Henrique last week and looks like he's actually on a nice run. He's not just a spot start guy. Now he's actually putting up a nice little stretch, five game point streak. Four goals and three assists in that span. Four of those points have been on the power play. At even strength, he's been playing on the line with Camilleri and Miles Wood, which you wouldn't think is so good, like not with Taylor Hall. But on the power play, he's been shuffling around. And sometimes he's playing on the Hall unit. Sometimes he's playing on the Camilleri and Parento and Zasha unit. I don't know. Whatever is happening with him, it's clearly working. I'm curious, is it time to pounce on Adam Henrique if he's still available in your league, or will this be a short-lived thing? Like He had 50 points last year. Currently, he has 31 points in 54 games for a 47-point pace. So pretty much similar to his overall pace last year. Do we just expect that whatever he's done earlier this year in terms of playing poorly and now with a hot stretch, it all evens out and this is actually the real Adam Henrique around a 50-point guy? Yeah, about a 50-point guy, that seems right. Remember this year started with hopes of him centering Taylor Hall. They were buddies and he's going to cash in on that big role. And then that never materialized and he was really flat to start the year. But he's been quietly on a 54-point pace since December 
I alluded to all the troubles I'd had spot starting him before I finally got a bullseye by adding him on a night where he actually produced and then produced the next two nights as well. And I'd imagine that if you're spot starting him, you might continue to be frustrated because you're gambling on him hitting the score sheet for one particular game at a time. But if you're hoping to get someone on your roster who could hit the score sheet every other game or so, he's a pretty decent option that is likely available in a lot of leagues. Yeah, so we're just giving you guys some options, different players you might want to pick up here in this midweek episode. Let's keep rolling along. Another guy who's been doing nothing for most of the year, even though there was a lot of hype, but finally seeming to break out a little bit. Miko Rantanen on Colorado got that hat trick on Tuesday versus Montreal. He's up to five goals and one assist in his last five games. So nice little run for him. He played last night with McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog, both at even strength and on the power play. So Hey, I mean, if you're playing with those guys, it sucks for Matt Duchesne, who isn't with them, but good for Miko Rantanen while it lasts. I'm sure he's been dropped in a lot of leagues since even with this surge, he only has 24 points in 45 games overall on the year. So just slightly above a half point per game pace. But there was a lot of hype about him going into the year. And I definitely think he's someone to watch, right? Considering all these people thought he was going to be so good. And now finally he's starting to put up points. Do you think there's a chance he can be fantasy relevant and worth rostering for the remainder of the season? Can he reach at least Adam Henrique levels of like a 50 point pace? Or do you think he's just going to go back to doing nothing since he's on Colorado and this team just can't score goals most nights? Yeah, so Miko Rantanen had six goals in 40 games before these five goals in five games. And of course, when you suddenly start scoring a lot of goals, I'm going to look at your shot totals to see if you're giving yourself more opportunities to score. He isn't doing that. Only 11 shots in those five games where he's got five goals, giving him a cool shooting percentage of 45%. He's going to be a good player in the NHL. I still believe that. Is he suddenly a goal-scoring phenom? No, not this year. Who is on Colorado this year, let alone Miko Rantanen? I feel like he'd be like third, fourth, maybe even fifth in line if anyone on that team can start putting something together. Well, someone who's putting something together on that team is actually Calvin Pickard, Brian. He shut out Montreal. That was definitely not expected. I'm sure a lot of people sat him because they were afraid that the Galchenyuks and the Pacioretties were going to light him up. But no, Calvin Pickard was like, nah. And actually, he has a 925 save percentage in his last five games as he's been transitioning into being the starting goalie with Varlamov out for the season. Two wins in a row now, also, since they also beat Winnipeg 5-2 to two on Saturday. I know at some point you mentioned that you had no interest in Calvin Picard, though now I see that you added him in the league where we're against each other. So what's your current take on Picard? And I think I've called him Picard and Picard multiple times throughout this little rant. But he's doing well now. Any chance he can keep it up? Any chance Colorado could be good? Like, I still feel like they have good players. And when Eric Johnson comes back, that should help. Maybe Pickard could be good. Like, he was also really good. Even though we've talked about how bad Colorado is defensively for a while now, the other times in the previous seasons where Varlamov was injured, he was always like a ray of sunshine and was always really great. Maybe he had a rough time this year, but maybe blue skies ahead. Yeah, I added him, but I'm not optimistic about him. It's just I only have the Calgary goalie tandem, and that's all. And I didn't think that was a viable option. And if you didn't cut the earlier part in this episode, everybody already knows that I kind of accidentally added him to. I wasn't trying to, like, trick you or anything by saying I had no interest. Not like you did to me with Steve Mason earlier this year. But I still definitely have my reservations about Pickard. I still really don't have any interest in him fantasy-wise for all the reasons I've shared all year long in that he's unproven, even just as an NHL backup, let alone a starter. He's on arguably the worst team in the league. And maybe some assets might be sent out the door as the trade deadline approaches, making his team even worse than it is now. But yeah, I did add him. I only had the Calgary tandem. So in a week where they already blow up my numbers, 
I might as well hope for a Cinderella start from Calvin Pickard. That'll at least get me some saves in the process. Yeah, maybe I'm a little more optimistic than you. I just remember so many good games from him over the last few years. So I think that if you want to grab a goalie, if he's still available, it's hard to find a starting goalie in fantasy. Why not grab Calvin Pickard? Why not grab the goalie from the worst team in the league who maybe has some upside? I don't know. By the way, Dave in the chat is saying that McKinnon is still a beast. I mean, he's got... 36 points in 50 games for like a 59-point pace. That's good. 170 shots. That's great. Over three shots a game. He's been great. Like, obviously, you want to own McKinnon in fantasy if you can. One of the few people on Colorado. I don't know. A beast? Uh, Needs to see a little more. Okay. Next team. Here's a guy who definitely has been a beast. Not even really a question for you here, but Nicholas Backstrom. Brian, have you realized that he has 22 points in his last 15 games and is now up to 54 points in 54 games on the year? Point per game pace. Nicholas Backstrom, damn, like he is so good. And I feel like pretty underrated in fantasy. Like he's never talked about as a guy to be drafted like in the first round of your pool, maybe because it's mostly from assists and doesn't get too many shots. But I mean, just general non-fantasy question, but I'm just kind of curious. I've been thinking about this Ovechkin thing a lot. I've been enjoying reading about how he's scoring all these goals. And if he keeps up this pace and he plays for like another 10 years, maybe he could even approach the big records, like become second or first, even for all-time goals. It was how much credit, should Nicholas Backstrom get for Ovechkin being one of the best goal scorers ever? Like, would Ovechkin be approaching these amazing numbers without Backstrom? I just, I don't know. He's so good. Backstrom is definitely a big part of it. I mean, Ovechkin is an amazing goal scorer, and I think he could probably get those goals. If Phil Kessel can score with Tyler Bozak, who is pretty good, I think maybe better than we did give him credit for at the time, not defensively, but at least offensively. Uh, But Backstrom is amazing, and I feel like we get around to celebrating him maybe twice a year to talk about just how great he is while being so quiet to anyone not watching closely. Anyway, you slice point-scoring leaders over any period in the last decade. The last decade, that includes the entire decade, the entire 10 years, not just a few pockets here and a few pockets there, and the rest were not so good but the great pockets will make up for them. No, he's been consistently amazing for 10 years now. Anyway, if you try and find the best players over any time in that last 10 years, he is up there in the conversation. Top 10 in all situation points since 2007. Top 10 in all situation points per 60 since 2007. I would challenge you to find a way to rank players. Okay, no, I won't, because you could rank them by like hits or blocks or uh-huh. something silly. Especially, by the way, if you go just to power play, he is ridiculously amazing with the power play assists and even strength assists. What a guy, Nicholas Backstrom. What a guy. Okay, I also wanted to ask you quickly about Grubauer. Just a general fantasy question, right? Like he's a backup, right? But aside from that, put that aside, Grubauer on Washington is like the best backup to own in fantasy, right? He's played 15 games. He has 10 wins, a 931 save percentage, 1.98 goals against average, plays pretty much once a week. And when he plays, he's almost for sure going to give you a good game, almost for sure going to give you a win. He's been owned in my cupful division pretty much all season. And that's like the only backup who you could say that about, like the only for sure backup. Obviously, there's some teams where it's hard to say like Reimer, you know, is owned because he gets a lot of games, even though theoretically Luongo is the starter. But anyways, just general fantasy strategy. How valuable is it to have a guy who, yeah, doesn't play very much, but when he does play, you know he's going to be the guy you want to start over your other goalies. Like if, Brian, you have Calvin Pickard, you could have added Grubauer. I guess you're saying you wanted the saves. I don't know. It's just interesting. Maybe it's not even like a question. Just something to think about. A rhetorical question, but Grubauer is very valuable, and I think he's worth considering. If you are in a league where you're looking for like a third goalie to just shore up your goalie stats every once in a while when he plays, why not just pick Grubauer up now? Not have to worry about trying to rush to get him over the other guys looking for goalie spots. That's when it's announced that he'll play. 
if you just want to start every now and then, if that works for your team, given your other goalies and your league format, he seems like a really great choice because he's got a good shot getting you a win when he does play and hopefully some nice numbers with that. He has an insane 77% quality start percentage this year with zero really bad starts. If you're in a league where someone like Yuzi Saros is owned, Grubauer may not be all that different. And keep in mind, the Caps have two back-to-backs right when they come back from their bye week, which runs from February 12th to the 18th. So the question is, do you pick them up now? Let them sit on your bench for a week and a half in anticipation of two starts on a back-to-back? Or do you try and snipe them later just in time to get in on those back-to-backs? That's for you to decide. Elon, you had a question that you didn't ask about his value in dynasty leagues. And my answer that I had prepared for you was that he's got value as a possible Vegas starter candidate. His name is definitely getting thrown out there a lot with the season he's having, but he is an RFA at the end of the season. So if the Caps don't lose him to Las Vegas, then he's with them until they deal him to another team. And that's the only chance he gets a starting job for as long as Braden Holtby is able to play in the NHL. Cool. Look at you. You even answer questions that I don't ask. Next guy, Brian, Evander Kane keeps on producing and he just joined the Eichel line. And actually, it was an Eichel-Reinhardt Evander Kane line. But I'm seeing today, Reinhardt has actually been bumped. Usually, Reinhardt was the guy playing on a good line. And Evander Kane was still valuable just because he was giving you all these shots. But he's been taking a ton of shots. Now he's playing with Eichel. He had two goals on Tuesday versus San Jose. He's up to seven goals and five assists in his last 14 games. 68 shots in his last 14 games, which is amazing. Averaging almost five shots a game in that span. I remember I asked you, Brian... Is Evander Kane finally back to being the guy that we were hoping for all this time? And he sort of made fun of me. I was like, yeah, okay, 20 games of Evander Kane, and I'm going to forget about the last few seasons, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, just wanted to say he's doing well, and he's on a good line. I'm very excited about Evander Kane right now. I think if he doesn't get injured, which is maybe a big if, I don't know. I just could see him having a really good end of the season and maybe a sleeper candidate for next year. If you need to decide on your final keeper, just so many shots on goal, and he's producing, and if he's going to play with Jack Eichel, hey, could do a lot worse. Yeah, those shots coming back is a really wonderful thing. And I alluded to this when we came into the show about Dauber Hockey's frozen pool player profiles and how I went to check there about Evander Kane's hits. They're only coming at a rate of a couple per game, which is lower than his three or four per game that he's generally had over the last, well, several seasons, his career. But maybe I'm wondering that could be a good thing If it keeps him healthy, just a theory I'm putting out there, although he scored a goal and then smashed his head into the boards the other night. So it seems like whatever he does, he's at risk for injury. Uh, His current point pace, it can't continue, but it looks like the shots might, which is great. He's currently seeing his highest individual, even strength shooting percentage of his career and the highest IPP of his career. But I feel like such a wet blanket saying that because Evander Kane is finally scoring while shooting. So I'm in. I'm in for getting all those shots on goal with some nice point scoring upside. Yeah, and I won't get too deep into this, but I think that you have to start looking at Sam Reinhardt as a snoozer. I'm glad I dropped him when I did. I was really regretting it and thinking, oh, maybe I should drop someone else and get him back. I made a huge mistake. But now that he's on the third line, like I'm seeing just tonight, obviously that's only one game, but he's like not even getting that much ice time. Only one shot. He's probably still on the top power play. We'll have to take a deeper look. But if you're holding Sam Reinhardt at this point, it might be time to ask yourself, why though? Okay, I wanted to talk about Keith Yandel, Brian, a guy who you have in fantasy. So I wanted to perk you up a little bit, tell you congratulations for holding on to him because he was kind of slow earlier in the year but he now has nine points in his last 11 games for florida now up to 27 points in 52 games after his slow start which is a 43 point pace which is pretty decent for a defenseman of course back in arizona keith yandel was the type of guy that was getting a solid 50 plus points every season 
But hey, now that Barkov and Huberdo are back, maybe we can expect a really good second half for Keith Yandel. Obviously, it's hard to know if he's a buy low because the only way to buy low on him is if the person you're trading with is looking at his full season stats. Maybe he's like a sell high if you're only looking at his last 11 games. I'm curious to get your general take on Yandel moving forward. Seems like a great situation for him. Nice to see him heating up right as the team is finally healthy. I like a lot of what I'm seeing, beginning with that recent uptick. And then you look at his IPP and even strength on ice shooting percentage and see that there may be some room for positive regression. And then you look at last year in which he tore it up post-All-Star break. He had a 52-point pace down the stretch. That's not necessarily a career-long trend, though I think part of that is because it would be really hard for him to make that a career-long trend in stepping up after the All-Star break with the kind of first halves that he's put up for most of his career. Uh, Okay, and then you look at how his shot rates are up this year over last year. Still not at peak years in Phoenix levels, but that's glass half empty talk in this very positive conversation about Keith Yandel. I've always had a bit of a thing for him, so I might be a little more ready to latch on him than others, but I am a strong believer in Keith Yandel down the stretch and really hoping that this fully healthy Panthers lineup can get going and work for everybody in it, especially Keith Yandel. Yeah, nice to see, because I was excited about him coming to Florida, then it was disappointing that he wasn't able to put up too many points. Obviously, it doesn't help when Huber Doe and Barkov are injured, but now the band is back together. I'm really excited to see what this team will do in the second half overall. See also if Jonathan Marshall could do anything. I got called out a little bit on Twitter. Someone said I was totally wrong, and he's going to bump someone out of the top six and make a big impact in the second half. I don't, I don't think so, but we'll see. Okay, one last guy, Brian. Wanted to mention Brandon Dubinsky, who has started to produce recently, and he gets so many hits. So he's got four goals and six assists in his last 11 games, so 10 points in his last 11, only 19 shots in that span, which sure, that's not too great, 19 shots in 11 games. But hey, if your league counts hits, 40 hits in those 11 games, almost four hits a game. Keep in mind, he's on a line with all-star Cam Atkinson. So it's not as if Brandon Dubinsky's been in a bad situation. So even though he wasn't putting up points earlier, maybe that was actually surprising. We should have been asking why not. Maybe he had a low IPP or something because obviously Atkinson has been doing so well. And also Jenner's been on that line. So now overall, Dubinsky's up to 25 points in 50 games. So a 41-point pace. He's been more like a 50-point pace guy the last few seasons. I feel like he should be able to do that, right? Moving forward, 50-point pace for the rest of the year. And if your league counts hits, we're taking a look at? Yeah, sure. Why not? And your point about Atkinson is well taken. Uh, you were right, though. His IPP, Davinsky's IPP, is low, lower than it has been at any point since 2007, at least. It's at 54.5% when he's used to it being, well, in the last few years since being in Columbus, it's been in the mid-70s. So maybe you should have a few more points by way of getting in on more goals that are scored while he's on the ice. The thing about playing with Atkinson, though, is that remember that 22 of Atkinson's 48 points have come on the power play, and Dubinsky is not playing with Cam Atkinson on the power play. But he has played 80% of all his even-strength minutes with Cam Atkinson, so that can be a good thing because Cam Atkinson is still a good hockey player. So I think a 45-point pace with hits is where I'll meet you on Dubinsky. So not bad. I think he could hit 50 point pace. He's done it the last few years. I don't see why he can't do it this year. Maybe he's had a reduction in power play time with more people able to produce and take that role over in Columbus. Okay, Brian, I just am going to run through a few teams that I think have some interesting line shakeups. Maybe I'll just say all of them. Then you can give your general takes at the end. But Minnesota, forget everything we said about Charlie Coyle last week. Maybe I overreacted did a whole segment about him being on line four. That didn't last long. Yesterday, he went back to playing with Parisi and Pominville. And then they were running an Eric Stahl Nieder 
Ryder and Jordan Schroeder line, and then Koivu, Granlin, and Zucker stuck together. Coyle was also on the top power play with Parisi install, and he had three assists on Tuesday, one assist yesterday, four shots on goal also yesterday. So Charlie Coyle, hopefully you didn't drop him because I was sort of saying the sky was falling because he was on the fourth line. If he was dropped in your league, I'd say add him back for sure. Like it's great to be playing on a line with Zach Parisi. Then in Boston, Obviously, the biggest change is that Julian was fired and they've got a new coach, Bruce Cassidy. Maybe we don't have to get too deep into that, but it looks like they've been shaking up the lines a little bit. Cassidy's going to try something new. And I saw that going into today, they were going to be going with Marshawn, Bergeron, and David Backus. So Backus, who was a third line guy and doing nothing, now all of a sudden playing with Marshawn and Bergeron is really good. And I think he already has like a goal and assist today. He's having a good game. And then Krejci with Pasternak and Matt Bolesky. So he might be a guy to look at. And then they were going to roll Vitrano with Spooner and Hayes. So three guys who maybe now, if you were excited about getting in the top six might be time to look elsewhere obviously also this is a new coach in his first game so maybe these will shake up a little bit but i think it's definitely worth watching the boston Lions, and i think david backus if he was dropped in your league just like charlie coyle maybe might be time to grab him he was probably dropped i mean he could have been considering he has zero points in his last seven games and he wasn't doing much before those seven games but i like him in his position now since he's had a good game tonight people are already probably starting to add him so get in on that train Okay, get in on that train for David Backus. I actually, well, no. I was going to say maybe more so than Charlie Coyle. I guess my reservations with Coyle, I know last week you were way down on him, and before that you were way up on him, and now you're way up on him again. But I still don't think he's a 55-, 60-point player steady through the rest of the season. So just keep that in mind if you're adding Charlie Coyle or getting like a 50-, 55-point guy. Keep your expectations in check. Same thing for David Backus. If your league counts hits, that's really great. Otherwise, ah, you know, he's had turns on the top line before without having been able to do very much. And that's how he ended off of it. And also in Boston, uh, Krejci and Pasternak with the new lines, they draw the short straw with Matt Bolesky as the third player on that line. But maybe Krejci and Pasternak can build a solid connection together as they did at times over the two years prior to this one when they did see some significant time on the same line. Yeah, and actually an update for David Backus. He's having a great game today so far. Boston's beating San Jose 5-2. to two. This is their first game back after break. First game with the new coach. This has been a trend this year, right? The team fires their coach, gets a new one, and then does really well. Obviously, we've been seeing it happening in St. Louis. And the Islanders also have been really great under Doug Wade. So who knows? Maybe more teams are going to do that and just fire their coach if they're on a losing streak. And I know Ian right now is pulling his hair out listening to me. One of our patrons thinks the Brewers made a huge mistake firing Julian, and he's clearly not alone. But yeah, Backus tonight, one goal, one assist, seven shots, three hits. Whoa! Okay, we'll see if he can keep it up moving forward. And then one last team I wanted to mention, Nashville. Looks like Neal and Arvidsson swapped spots in the last game. So James Neal back on line one with Forsberg and Johansson. Then Arvidsson with Yarncroft and Colin Wilson. So even though Arvidsson had a really good game on that second line with Yarncroft versus Vancouver in their last game, he had two goals and an assist. And Yarncroft had a goal and an assist. You might be thinking, oh, so no big deal. Even though Arvidsson's on the second line now, he's clearly able to put up just as many points. But I don't know. You might start wanting to look elsewhere or sell high if you can. Obviously, the lines could shake up again. But great news for James Neal and probably not great news for Victor Arvidsson in the long run. Yeah, and we'll see what happens in the long run. Like, this isn't a long-run situation. What I'm looking for, as always, I'm looking at Victor Arvidsson's shot totals off the top line. That's been something that's made him valuable, even in games that he didn't put up a point, and especially valuable in games that he did. He was averaging more than three per game. I should say he has been averaging over three per game because it's not over yet. And he leads the Predators by a fair margin in shots on goal per 60 minutes at even strength, but he's fifth amongst forwards in shots on goal per 60 minutes on the power play. So I don't know that that power play time is going to help him get those three shots on goal per game. 
something to keep an eye on. And James Neal gets a new lease on life for owners who'd been giving up on him. And there were a lot of them. So we'll see. I feel like the top three guys on that line aren't going to stick together for long. Like Neil spent a lot of time with Mike Ribeiro in the past, who was recently waived. I think they might just be trying to find a place where he can get going on the roster. And then once he does, we'll see what happens from there. Or once he doesn't, I don't know. We'll see. Like if we had till Sunday, we'd have a couple more games, but it's Thursday, a little more speculation than usual. Uh, Keep an eye on everything as always. Good advice. Did you just say good advice to yourself? Yeah. But with that, I guess we're going to be saying goodbye for a little bit. Not too long, right? I guess three extra days than usual. So we're not going to be doing a podcast this Sunday. And then we're going to be doing our next episode the following week on the Monday on the 20th. So join us live at 8 p.m. for our next regularly scheduled episode. But I hope you enjoyed this one. If you liked it, hey, you can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a five-star review on iTunes, which we always appreciate. Check out becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We've scheduled our next patron cast, which is going to be on March 1st. So still a little bit away but that's always a lot of fun and so you want to make sure you get in on the patron program before then but with that let's cue the outro music and brian why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and supported by our patrons it was researched with help from dauber hockey frozen pool corsica hockey analysis hockey reference hockey database elite prospects roto world and fan Great job as always, Brian, and looking forward to talking to you in a little over a week, week and a half. Have fun in New Orleans. And while you're there, keep on keeping Carl Sons.